Welcome to the A Fire Podcast. Now streaming on Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. Each episode features real and honest conversations with thought leaders from around the world at all levels of the commercial real estate and investing business, examining the ideas and questions fundamental to the future of our industry. Where are we now? What happens next? What should we do about it? How do we become better investors, leaders, and global citizens? For more, here's your host and the CEO of AFIRE, Gunnar Branson. Industrial real estate. It wasn't that long ago when most institutional investors overlooked this asset class as a niche product. But based on what I've been hearing every day from AFIRE members eager to add a new data center or Amazon distribution warehouse to their portfolios, it's nowhere near backwater status anymore. Stefan Wundrick, the head of research in Europe for Nuveen Real Estate, is truly an industrial expert. He was instrumental in launching Nuveen's logistics franchise, and he wrote an article for the recent winter edition of AFIRE Summit called Ugly Duckling or Swan about the fast-changing and profitable industrial landscape. So, Stefan, what's going on? In industrial, in the past, when industrial played a very small role in investors' portfolios, all sorts of stuff was lumped into it, and what it usually meant was anything which sort of going in and out of, of factories. And that has really changed for the last couple of years because um, all these sort of things which we would define as industrial have moved closer to consumers and to um, businesses which are not factories. So we have the whole range, everything around logistics. So logistics from and to factories, to shops, but most importantly to consumers and to offices itself, uh, which meant anything which is, you know, you can define as industrial logistics, um, last mile logistics, delivery hubs, and all that that sort of stuff had to move closer to to consumers and is not part of that wider sort of family of industrial. The same is true about things like storage. Um, again, from outside, it looks like an industrial or logistics building, but actually something very different goes on in, in these buildings. And because it's used by small businesses and consumers, again, it can't be located somewhere in an industrial estate. It has to be quite close to where people live and where people work. Um, another good example is around data and data centers. Again, from outside, they look like a standard um, industrial building. Um, there's a lot of technology in there. And same as with the other mentioned um, logistics areas, it has to be quite close to where actually consumers of data are. So again, close to where people live and close to where people work. Do you have an additional constraint in that they have to be close to the, the the larger pipes, if you will, for the internet. Yes. So, I mean, the other big constraint, apart from where the data flows are, is where the um, electricity is available. They consume huge amounts of electricity. One data center can be as much as um, what 100,000 households uh, consume. And that electricity is not freely available everywhere. So especially with a shift from um, sort of all sort of dirty energy from coal and, and gas now moving to more renewable ones, 
um, many urban centers don't have as much sort of um, spare capacity there. So a lot of locations where data center providers would want to build a new data center because they, they have the demand from the consumers, they can't really, as long as um, the, the electricity is not provided by the local providers. And that sometimes can be a couple of years until they say, okay, now we are in a state where we can actually offer you that extra electricity to power um, your data center. There's also security requirements. Um, so you can't be very close to an airport or where, you know, there's seismic sort of um, shifts which might interfere with data, no flood zones, um, uh, not in a hurricane zone, all this sort of stuff is, is a problem as well. And that because they consume so much data, so much electricity, a lot of that electricity is used for cooling. Um, so in order to be cost efficient, um, the data center providers would want to be in a relatively cold climate or close to water where they can use that for cooling. Um, and also being in locations, and I mean, that's more relevant in, in Europe and Asia where you can move between countries, maybe in a country where um, electricity is relatively cheaply available and preferable because most um, big sort of hyperscalers like the Googles and Microsoft of these world have zero carbon targets also be available in, in a renewable format um, in that particular location. So it's quite a quite a few different constraints um, which make it difficult for data center providers to find sort of the optimal location um, because all these other things like electricity, cheap electricity, renewable electricity, security, all these things are probably less available the closer you get, go into an urban center where you need to be because there are the consumers. And, you know, another point you make in terms of consumers is that these other categories such as self-storage, cold storage, dark kitchens, parking are also changing. How is that playing out? Um, it's all trends which have been there for many, many years. Um, but obviously with digitalization, it is, you know, has been accelerating and the pandemic in 2020 has accelerated that trend even more. Um, so obviously internet shopping has had quite a boost around the world with new consumer groups, which in the past haven't been so keen on shopping online, older consumers, consumers in more sort of rural areas have also, you know, caught up to that trend, which means these sort of buildings have to be close to these consumers as well. With people working from home more, um, they also eat at home more, which means dark kitchens, which are providing sort of restaurant food delivered to your house, are also more in demand um, and they are in demand where, where people live. So usually it's not in the city centers, but in more sort of urban, suburban areas is the highest population density. Um, which usually are areas where there aren't any sort of industrial type um, land zoning or buildings available to fill them with self-storage or with kitchens or with um, parcel delivery centers. So there's a lot of different uses um, competing for that space, um, being as close as possible to consumers. And it's all products which consumers want to use as much as possible. Um, like I said, with the pandemic even accelerating even more than so in the past. Um, but it's all uses which are nothing which, you know, 
local planners or local voters are particularly keen to have in their areas because I mean, a dark kitchen delivering food will have lots of trucks and deliveries going in and out, parcel distribution centers even more. Um, so it's all things where people like to have that delivery as quickly as possible, but no one really wants to live right next to a building that has lots of traffic, um, um, even, you know, pollution from some of these buildings or noise, um, which is not as popular as, as a service um, they provide. Um, which sort of accelerates that competition for the rare spaces where, where you are close to a consumer, but at the same time, uh, sort of local planners are allowing that building to be built or operated. That certainly suggests that there's a very real limit on supply. Not a terrible thing if you're an investor that actually has that asset. Yes. So, I mean, that has driven many investors into that investment space. Uh, there's a very limited supply of these buildings. Um, we see very fast rising demand, and that has led to um, very fast rising rents. Um, and that is quite extraordinary because if you look back over the last 30, 40 years of industrial assets, it's always been an asset class which was bought for high income returns, but it never delivered um, much in terms of rent growth because as long as industrial is out of town, Whenever you needed new space, it was always really relatively easy to just own more land for it and build another factory, another warehouse. But now with these use moving so close to in, into urban areas, um, it's not that easy anymore to build these new buildings whenever they need it. And um, the users have to become much more economical with it, um, much as in, in Asia we now have in, in cities like Hong Kong, Toronto, and Singapore multi-story um, buildings of that sort, because there simply is no space available. But even in Europe and US, where you still get away with sort of single-story buildings, they're much more efficiently used. And as a result, um, they're becoming more expensive on the rental side for the occupiers, which is obviously very nice for um, investors who have this in their portfolios. Can you split out what you think the the kind of systemic, non-COVID changes and drivers are versus COVID? I, I don't think um, COVID has brought any completely new trends, um, but it really has helped some trends which are were already underway. I mean, um, online shopping, as you already mentioned, is sort of the most prime example, but others to mention which are relevant for the logistics industrial sector is everything around um, near-shoring or home-shoring, as some in, uh, manufacturing companies call it. Um, given sort of the trade tensions between the US, Europe and, and, and China, um, rising labor costs in many um, emerging markets, there was already a trend of bringing very high-end um, production back to um, high-value or, or Western countries. But it was just a trickle. And the pandemic, um, disrupting supply chain, sort of making that um, trade tension between the different blocks even more apparent. Um, the realization that some of our sort of most crucial medical equipments are only produced maybe by one company somewhere far, you know, around the globe and can't be accessed very quickly as a ventilators was a good example of that. Um, brought the realization home that um, maybe it makes sense to have uh, more stuff being produced close to sort of Western consumers where it's actually used. Um, so that trend of some 
very high-end manufacturing coming back to Europe, US, has been accelerated by the pandemic um, for sort of the, the aforementioned reasons. And we, we're probably going to see even see see more of that over the next couple of years. So, how are we going to find or create new supply, given the constraints? both that people don't want it close, the whole NIMBYism problem, combined with these services that come out of logistics, that come out of data centers, that come out of dark kitchens, have to be close. Where are we going to find new space? Um, I think it all comes down to smarter use of that space. So you can make more of the space if you're using more robotics, you can make more of your space if you build higher, um, and like in some countries, even multi-story buildings. Um, also, you know, you can make sure that sort of the impacts of these buildings, which are mainly around traffic, um, are you know, not as bad by using especially sort of electric trucks, which are, don't use as much noise, they don't have um, local emissions. Um, which, you know, makes it a lot more acceptable for, um, you know, for uh, for people live in certain areas where they sort of don't want to have that sort of negative impact to be accepted of buildings like that being there. And sort of clever combinations of different uses. So if you build a new apartment block, um, there is nothing speaks against using some of the underground space for um, parcel delivery where, you know, you're shielding the noise and the emissions away from from where people live, and sort of these mixed-use buildings um, might be also one way of, of of making sure you're getting the space underground to some extent. You're not you're not getting overground. Um, there are some examples in sort of European cities where you have all these rail hubs going into cities. Um, they used to be used for sort of also sort of heavy goods usage, which is no longer needed in cities, and some of them are now, are now converted to you know, delivery centers for parcels, which come in by train overnight, and then are distributed to consumers and to households by electric trucks, which um, you know are a lot more popular than big, heavy sort of diesel trucks in, in big cities. Are you seeing opportunities to convert retail space, perhaps in the first floor of those apartments? Uh, or office buildings, or even shopping centers that are no longer being used, in especially in the United States where we're so over-retailed, um, do you see that converting into these last-mile distribution centers? Um, it's definitely a part of it. Um, in, in Europe, it is especially what we, what UNIS probably would call a strip mall, so sort of a single-story, actually looks like a warehouse sort of building. Um, and they are already on the edge of town. They have relatively low rents. So for the owner, it's not as damaging to their bottom line if that is converted into um, last mile logistics building. In in a shopping center, which is usually a multi-story and much more sort of urban location, it is a bit more difficult, but there's definitely marginal space. So, you know, when you reduce your overall shopping area because, you know, there's less demand for it, which are in an area where it's easy to deliver from and to. Um, they definitely are part of that story to um, convert them to last mile logistics. And the, the denser the population around that, so the, the more people live on less space, um, the more also that is useful for sort of you can use smaller spaces for that. 
Um, the City of London has a new scheme now where Amazon is delivering within the two-mile radius of the city um, everything by cargo, electric cargo bikes um, from very small um, distribution centers, which, which used to be shops. So that is definitely part of that solution. Everything that you're saying here seems to suggest that industrial is no longer a niche product, but perhaps something approaching core. Would you agree to that? Uh, yeah, I mean, most definitely. Um, if you look at the, the pricing of these assets, they are not very far away from the pricing of office assets in, in inner cities. Um, so if you compare sort of top centers around the globe, so New York, Tokyo, London, um, you're buying an office for around 3% sort of net cap rate or net yield, as we say in Europe. And the equivalent industrial buildings in these cities are maybe three and a half. So there's not more than 50 basis points um, price difference between sort of the best mile of industrial buildings in these, in these cities compared to their best offices. And that already, you know, speaks volumes and investors as core assets and have bought into that story that um, as much as you can't sort of increase office space and the, the most thought after, sought after locations within inner cities, as much as you can't really increase um, that industrial space, which is just as needed or maybe even more needed in future, um, given that um, people will be working more from their private homes uh, and not as much from offices in future. And I think, you know, the jury's still out in terms of what's going to happen to office uh, once we get out of COVID. But I, I do think it's hard to imagine that it won't change and the demand for office space could go down, uh, which means more opportunity for, it sounds like, logistics. You and Nuveen are projecting strong rental growth in industrial. Uh, what might interrupt that growth, if anything? And, and how long do you think this growth period will last and what's going to cause it to subside? So, I mean, in the near future, the next couple of years, we can't really see how that growth, you know, trajectory is going to change. But of course, at some point, um, all e-commerce which can move online will, be, will have moved online. Um, we don't know that sort of inflection point is going to be, is it going to be a 25% of retail, it's going to be 50% of retailers. Um, lots of studies out there which suggest very, very different numbers. But as soon as that is, arri is arriving, um, extra demand of for space like that will also subside. And that's sort of the point where you might get sort of some overbuilding and uh, developers not seeing that times have changed. But we can't really see that happening for the next five, five to 10 years. Um, that doesn't preclude that um, there will be sort of local bubbles where investors just paying too much for a site or too much for a building. Um, but I wouldn't take that as a, as a general trend um, interrupting that positive um, trajectory for, for that asset class. And it's the same for, I mean, we spoke about deliveries, but it's the same for data. Um, if you look at how much extra data driverless cars will create and how much data centers we need just for that, it's hard to imagine that um, the near future, the meaning like the next decade, will, will interrupt that, that positive trend in, in any way. 
any kind of areas in particular when it comes to industrial that you're most excited about and why? I, I think the most exciting sector, and we, we touched on it already, is, is definitely around um, data and the connection that has with wider infrastructure. And because because data is just one one part of it, it also will feed into how um, energy is provided to cities. I mean, nowadays we have a mix of energy where heating is usually you know gas or gas fired. Um, our transport system is is relying on oil and um, the rest on electricity. But um, in the near future, it might move a lot more towards electricity. So. And electricity production will change from, you know, more use of solar panels, more use of wind, um, hydropower will play um, a role. Hydrogen um, probably replace some of the um, diesel, coal, and and gas engines. And some of that is even produced in cities. So the connection between that different sort of energy production, uh, actually energy delivery to cities. And because data also needs that energy, that connection between all these these things, I think will have a profound change on industrial in cities. Um, So it's easy to see that at some point, maybe we have um, big batteries in cities, which store some of the energy, which is not used at the time it is produced as backup. you know, these sort of things where it's sort of data and infrastructure, energy um, mix into each other. Um, I think that is, is a very exciting change. I think we, we will see in, you know, Western cities over the next one or two decades. But real estate plays a large part in, in that change. Well, it looks like we have run out of time for this discussion, um, but a lot of food for thought um, and a lot of excitement, I guess, around this new core asset class of industrial. So thank you, Stefan, for being a part of the AFIRE podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks very much. You've been listening to the AFIRE podcast. Remember to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform, including Apple, Google, Spotify, and more. AFIRE is not engaged in providing tax, accounting, or legal advice through this podcast. No content included here is to be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell any asset. Some information, including the AFIRE podcast, may have been obtained from third-party sources considered to be reliable. AFIRE is not responsible for guaranteeing the accuracy of third-party information. The opinions expressed in the AFIRE podcast are those of its respective contributors and do not necessarily reflect those of AFIRE. To learn more about the AFIRE podcast, including underwriting and guest opportunities, visit afire.org slash podcast.